As you may know, Oregon is a hub for outdoor apparel. Led by Nike, our state is home to industry giants like Adidas, Columbia Sportswear, and now Under Armour. It's a rapidly growing industry and a big economic driver. According to the Oregonian, sports apparel and footwear sales have jumped 42% to $270 billion over the past seven years. It's also a sector that pays well, attracts talent, and feeds an entire ecosystem of service providers. And the Portland area is the epicenter. Welcome to Biz 503. I'm Mark Grimes of Bigfoot Podcast network with Suzanne Stevens, editor of the Bartlett Business Journal. Today we're looking at the trends, impact, and future of Oregon's athletic apparel industry. To start us off, we welcome two well-versed experts, my colleague, uh, Matt Kish, uh, who covers footwear and apparel for the Portland Business Journal, and Jennifer Nolfi, a director of the Athletic and Outdoor Industry Program at Portland State University. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks. So Matt, let me start with you. Can you kind of set the lay of the land for us? I mean, we know Nike. Obviously, Nike's grown up here, but it's much bigger than Nike uh, when it comes to footwear and apparel and Portland being the epicenter. So how has that come to be? So we've kind of reached the point where Portland has become uh, the epicenter of the sportswear industry. We often hear the metaphor now that Portland is to the sportswear industry what Silicon Valley is to the technology industry. So we have all the biggest players here, Nike, Adidas. We have Under Armour here. Under Armour's coming in a much bigger way this fall with a bigger facility. And now we have this entire ecosystem around those companies as well as an ecosystem that supports smaller companies. We have venture capitalists. We have education programs. We have a lot of resources to grow even more companies here. So Jennifer, let me bring you in. Can you talk a little bit about the program at PSU just so our listeners kind of have a good understanding about that? And then also your take, because the education piece is an important part of that puzzle. Absolutely. At Portland State University, we have an athletic and outdoor industry certificate program in the School of Business Administration. It sits below a major and a minor, but it really is helping people understand the culture, the, the concept to consumer process, and also building relationships with the industry because industry is very engaged in our classroom. And this term right now, spring term, we have a class going on and we estimate that we have over 300 years of experience in the classroom working with our students. So that engagement is absolutely critical. Uh, We're working on a graduate certificate program that will launch if approved. I'm still going through the approval process in winter of next year. Again, that's focused more on a go-to-market strategy and will be a nice complement to supply chain and some of the other areas that we're strong in. And then we have some continuing education programs through our Center for Executive and Professional Education. The study that uh, PDC led when I was there in 2009-2010 included a call to action. It really provided the framework for the depth of the industry, positioned Portland as the mecca, very unique in its combination of hard and soft goods, large and small brands, and then the ecosystem that surrounds that. But the call to action included the need for talent development. A lot of brands talk about recirculating talent, paying a lot of money to recruit people from other brands. And there's a real desire to make sure that we're providing that next generation of innovative thinkers. And so PSU obviously is, that was a mission in creating this program. U of O has a program. OSU has a program. So there is a real effort on the side of education in Oregon to partner with industry to meet those programs. So how long has the program been around and what's the trajectory for student interest in program and similar programs? Absolutely. The Athletic and Outdoor Industry Certificate was started in 2013 and we've had probably about 50 people go through the program. It's hard for me to track right now placement of people, but we're estimating it's about 60% placement of our students. These are undergraduates, so entry-level positions, sales positions, account representatives, those types of things. And then for the 
the graduate certificate, there's an approval process in higher education to get new programs approved. So I'm going through that now, but it's expected to launch in the winter and can be taken as a standalone certificate or partnered with one of our MBA programs. And that was based on industry demand. Everything we do is through conversations with industry about what they need so that we're serving industry and our students at the same time. Can you share an example maybe of how you're partnering with industry to make sure that you're developing the right kind of talent that's in demand? Absolutely. So I think there's a variety of ways we do that. We have an athletic and outdoor industry advisory panel made up of large and small brands, hard and soft goods that meets regularly. They provide direct input on the strategy as we look five or 10 years, what should our program be doing? We also have an HR working group of professionals in the athletic and outdoor industry who are helping us anticipate and see what the talent hiring needs are so we have time to adjust. We also have, as I mentioned in our program right now, we have 300 years of people in the classroom teaching our product management class, but also mentoring our students. And that's similar to our winter term too, where we have both of our classes are led by Columbia Sportswear leads our competitive dynamics class and Nike leads our product management class. We also make sure we have a lot of different brands in the classroom so it doesn't have one perspective. So Matthew, as you know, Phil Knight's stepping away and Ma Boyle hasn't been involved for a while, you seeing some changes in other changes in leadership that are going to make differences with these bigger brand companies locally? It will be an interesting year in terms of Nike's corporate governance. Phil Knight is stepping down as chairman of the company in June. He will remain on the board of directors. CEO Mark Parker will likely be named to replace him as chairman. But that will be a very interesting time to watch the company. So Phil Knight wrote the business plan for what became Nike in 1962. That business plan pretty accurately predicted what the company would become in terms of its business strategy. It's going to be interesting as he steps away. And and same with uh, the Boyle family as well. I would add that Wall Street is very confident in the succession plans at both companies. The stocks of both companies have done very well. So stock analysts don't expect any sort of uh, tremendous turbulence. Jennifer mentioned talent a little bit. And obviously, these education programs are up there. Pencil's another one. We're training, you know, young designers. Matt, how fast are the companies here growing? You know, how can you quantify the demand for new talent? It's an incredible growth time in the industry right now. Nike has hired more than 2,000 workers locally since 2012. Adidas is in the midst of its biggest hiring expansion ever. It wants to uh, expand its local workforce by 10%. Right. They just bought a building too, didn't they? They just bought uh, an adjacent building to their campus. So they will hire 120. We are seeing graduates from programs such such as Jennifer's snapped up very quickly. Pencil just had the World Sneaker Championships, which was a <laughs> sneaker design contest. It didn't require any sort of academic credential. It was just sketch some shoes and send it to us. Of the 64 students that started out in the World Sneaker Championships, three had jobs before the end of the wow. of the event. So there's a huge demand from these companies, and I expect it to continue. So what's driving the growth overall? Is this kind of globalization and things that are happening in international markets, or are they getting into other areas, other sports? The sportswear industry is a growth industry. Next time you're at the grocery store, at the shopping mall, look around, you'll see people wearing tennis shoes, jeans, and in active wear. 50 years ago, you would have seen people wearing brown and black shoes at the mall and at the grocery store. That's expected to continue. Interestingly, Puma today, which is based in Germany, also announced it's hiring 500 more workers. So Portland's the mecca. We benefit from it with the new jobs here, but it is a global trend toward more athletic apparel. So basically, everybody's dressing like we already do here in Portland. Is what That's you're correct. Okay. <laughs> we're, we're ahead of the curve. All right. <laughs> Though we do like our brown shoes here with our <laughs> hiking. I know the, the old trail runners. So Matt, one of the stories that I think we're going to see develop, you and I've talked a lot about this in the newsroom, is the talent wars. You know, Under 
farmers coming here? They're going to, you know, how many employees are they looking at there? So, you know, Jennifer, we had, were talking earlier, Under Armour's already here, has had a small design footprint here, but they're expanding. Can you talk a little bit, Matt, about their decision to come here and also about how many people they might uh, be employing at their new place, which is the old YMCA building off Barber? Under Armour has been here for several years. They realized they needed a more robust Portland presence because we have so much talent here. So it's expected they could eventually have 500 workers on Barber Boulevard, and we will continue to see these revolving doors with top talent at all these companies, not just folks wanting to hire away Nike designers, but also Nike hiring some of the top people from these other companies. I know Nike just hired Under Armour's, one of their top footwear uh, innovation workers. So we will continue to see that trend. What do you see as some of the next trends with some of the bigger companies that are happening right now? I think I haven't seen them, but a lot of the, the companies are creating these maker spaces. Either they have them or they're putting more money into that. I think there's a desire to have more of the ability to do the prototyping here. As companies can get to market faster, that's huge. I think the customization piece is going to be huge so that people can be more engaged in the design of their shoes, maybe not the whole shoe, but at least parts of it so they can personalize it. It ties into being more authentic and having something like that. So I think that's another issue. And then with technology, it's going to be really interesting to see how technology interfaces with the industry, whether you're talking about wearable technology or how companies are able to harness all the data that they have today in whether it's the analytics around sales channels or how they're engaging with their customer base. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. It'll be interesting. Yeah, it's been interesting to see with Nike. There was a bit of a miss with the Fitbit, what was theirs? Nike Fuel that, you know, so they are exploring. And of course, Nike has always said we are an innovation company. So it will be really interesting to watch them as the Internet of Things comes on and devices are more connected, whether they reinvest in that area. Absolutely. We launched um, an analytics certificate at PSU for the sole purpose of helping companies, not just in athletic and outdoor, but it was a demand we had from that industry too, of like having people be able to take all this data and then translate it to inform strategic business decisions because there's a lot of it out there. Nike also had an accelerator incubator that went for about a year or two, and then they decided to flip the switch off. I think there was enough other things that were happening in town. We have a message that came in on the talk board. Portland is a sports apparel mecca. Do any of the companies, I assume this means bigger too, but do any of the companies manufacture locally? There's a little bit of local manufacturing. I think if we look forward a couple years, we'll see a lot more manufacturing. And I think in the third segment today, we're going to talk more about that. Nike has said if the Trans-Pacific Partnership passes a trade deal, it will accelerate its effort to bring 10,000 manufacturing jobs to the U.S. Those jobs will likely end up in the U.S. regardless of whether that trade deal passes. We will likely see some of them in Oregon, and we will continue to see this trend towards making more products locally. And we do, I think it's important for people to understand, when we talk about the athletic and outdoor industry, everyone immediately thinks of Nike, Adidas, and Columbia. But when I mention hard and soft goods, it's very intentional. Yakima is here. We have a number of knife companies, Gerber, Leatherman, Benchmade. Those are all part of the industry too, and those companies are manufacturing here. Leatherman has a large manufacturing facility out in Airport Way. Gerber does as well, so does Benchmade. And then Danner Lacrosse is another large employer and it has a long history in Oregon. They do manufacture here as well. And then I think the other manufacturing tends to be more smaller, lower volume, higher quality custom products where you talk about Orox Leather or some of these smaller companies that are doing amazing things that are manufacturing here, but it's in much smaller quantities. Keen Shoes, do they do anything locally? They do. They yeah. have a manufacturing facility. I think they do mainly assembly here of the uppers. Right. And that's been a trend we've seen growing over the past 10 years. Yeah, and I 
I know we want to talk more about that. I have a lot of questions on the manufacturing front. I'll wait till we get to that segment. But I did want to go back, Matt, talk about the prototyping and kind of the shoes. I talked about Under Armour. We've talked about Nike. I do want to talk about Adidas as well. You mentioned they're growing quickly. But one of the kind of key things they're doing that's been really interesting strategically is they're looking to make their shoes, not necessarily manufacture, but design them locally versus in Germany. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that strategy? Yeah. So if you wind back the clock two years ago, Adidas was struggling in the U.S. It's not struggling here now. It's a it's a German-based company with its U.S. headquarters, North American headquarters in Portland. One thing it has done to improve its operations here is move more decision-making uh, authority to Portland. And by doing that, they move their head of global design to Portland. They have been able to react quicker to consumer demands, get products into the marketplace faster. And I think that leads to them having more success as a company. And I think that is another part of this trend of these companies wanting to react faster to consumers. We have very fickle tastes and the ability to get products into the market fast is, is crucial. Because it's not a fast process. Generally, what is the time from, you know, design board to idea to market is, I don't know, what do you guys think? For shoes, I believe it's 90 to like 120 days. And that might even be, but that's probably even too short. Mm-hmm. I think it depends on the complexity of the product and where it's being manufactured and a variety of other things. But, and it can also go up to like six to nine months. So a lot of the, the innovators at brands, they're innovating 15 years out. And so then the process to actually bring it to market, probably closer to six to nine months. Which is challenging for a big company. I know that that kind of a life cycle getting so shortened is is tough. What are some of the, the medium-sized companies that you're seeing out there that are kind of under the level of a Nike? Portland has a really robust ecosystem of kind of young startup companies, very promising companies. Jennifer's mentioned several of them. Uh, one thing I might add to answer this question is that we're seeing more resources to help those young companies now. It has long been said that Portland needs a place where you can actually make samples, whether it's mm-hmm. footwear or apparel. We have two such facilities now. One is called Studio 317, run by a former Nike executive. There's also JLD Studios out near the airport. So what those companies do is if you want to start an apparel company, you can go to them and they will actually help you make a small sample run of products and help you get your first batch of sweatshirts or jackets into the marketplace. Those resources are critical as we you know, create more young companies here in this industry. One thing I wanted to make sure we just touch on at least in this segment before we get into a little bit more of kind of the smaller companies that are that are beginning to pop up and thrive here is how important this industry as a whole, whether it's Nike or kind of these young startups are to the economy here. Mm -hmm. So Matt, I know you've looked into that a lot. And Jennifer, the the employment numbers around that, you know, how would you kind of characterize the economic impact of the footwear and apparel industry on the local economy? It's a hard one to track because the numbers don't easily line up with government category. The most recent effort to track the industry is 2012 data, uh, 14,000 employees, $1.5 billion in total payroll, more than $100,000 in average wage. So it's a very critical part of the Portland and of the Oregon economy, and it continues to grow. In addition, there's about, based on that same study that was we led when I was at PDC, there's about 3,200 self-employed people that are part of that. So I think that's, when you talk about the ecosystem, and, and I know you're going to talk to some smaller firms, but that's a critical part of it. Obviously, the larger brands drive that brand awareness and attention to Portland and Oregon, but they've also fueled all these spin-off companies and the service providers and this infrastructure that then other small and medium-sized firms can take advantage of. It feeds so, itself. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the challenges we have or opportunities is we do have some great programs to support those smaller, medium-sized businesses, but we haven't seen the investment. Like We still have a ways to go, and I think you're probably going 
going to cover that later, but I think that's an opportunity for the community and the region and state going forward. Investment's always the challenge with yeah. any new thing, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Obviously, we have some huge players in the sports apparel industry, but what about the small creative startups? We'll take a look at those when we come back. Welcome back to Biz 503 on PRP. I'm Suzanne Stevens of the Portland Business Journal, along with my co-host today, Mark Grimes of NetSpace. Today, we're talking about the Oregon athletic apparel industry. Oregon is already home to some of the industry's biggest companies. So is there room for Portland startups in the athletic apparel sector, or is the shadow cast by Nike, Adidas, and others just too big? There is so much room. We're welcoming again some innovators now to tell us if it's possible to get into the apparel game. Don Muthart, Design Director at Portland Apparel Lab. Anna Van Tol, founder of It's Only Love Activewear, and Jennifer Nolfi from Portland State University, and Kelly Roy from ADX Portland. Welcome, everyone. Anna Van Tol, tell us how easy it is to launch a startup apparel company here in Portland, Oregon. Well, for me, it wasn't something I questioned. It was something I had to do. So with that just came the courage, and the idea came, and then miraculously, the money to start came. And I just have been going at it ever since, and just taking one step at a time. I really have literally just been learning as I go. And when did you launch the company? Can you talk a little bit about the company? Oh, yeah. sure. I'd love to. I started the company idea in 2013 summer, and then I started like, coming up with my logo idea, and then the apparel that I wanted in my company, and then what I wanted my company to do. And I took the idea to a trademark attorney and got my trademark right away. And then I started finding apparel and getting it screen printed. I'm branding at this point. And then I took it to market spring of 2014, last Thursday day events and my first one of my first customers that came to the table I explained to her what I'm doing it's only love activewear donates 10% of the profits to create education scholarships for single moms and actually I've added since then uh, 10% of the profits of sales from men's apparel create education scholarships for single dads and when I told this woman what I had done and I showed her my apparel she started crying and she was like I this means so much to me and I created it because it means so much to me and to have that received so instantly I realized I did it I've got this like all I have to do now is keep going right you had the, the passion and the, the the need and the demand obviously yeah. was there that's great done the apparel lab sounds like you guys cook up apparel there can you uh, tell our <laughs> listeners a little bit more about what you guys do about what we do well yeah. we help apparel startups get their businesses off the ground what happens in Portland is there's a huge barrier to entry into this industry if you're an individual or partnership just getting from square one to actually being profitable is very very hard there's a lot of equipment to buy that's very expensive if you're working on your own. There's a lot of connections to make. It's very hard. It's, this is not something that you can just Google activewear fabric and sure. things will come up. <laughs> um, it's just not an internet accessible industry to be in. I mean, you can Google it, but you'll have limited success. So what we do is we are creating a collective makerspace for entrepreneurs where they'll have access to the tools and equipment they need, but also the resources. We're, we're creating this network and this real ecosystem in Portland so people can connect with the people they need to connect to. 
connect with the services they need to get their business off the ground. Because to be honest, when you're an individual entrepreneur, it's hard to do it all yourself. It's hard to do marketing and branding, keep your books, do all your prototyping, find manufacturers, find fabric. It's really hard. So what we do is we support these startup entrepreneurs in this business. And so you help, I know one of the big issues is being able to buy the quantity that you need. If you're a small, you know, startup, you don't need as much as if you're manufacturing thousands or millions of units of something. So can you kind of talk us through how you might help an entrepreneur find the right resources? Well, with things like materials, a lot of it is about relationships. So if you have a relationship with a supplier, you can call them up and get 5, 10, 20, 50 yards of something to prototype your product. And then when you are ready to manufacture, when you're ready to get more, they're still there and they still have it. But yes, it is much, it's actually more expensive to make a dozen, two dozen, a hundred of something than it is to make 5,000, 30,000. It is more expensive. That's the reality. So I'm curious how you deal with, you know, because I love the idea of collaboration. Portland's very collaborative, work together, startups working together. But in the design world, you're kind of encouraging that. People are pretty protective of their designs and their choices of materials and this and that. So how do you encourage the collaboration and yet kind of keep that separation of church and state so people don't like see each other's cool new stuff? Well, that protectiveness of intellectual property, it's real, but it's something that we've talked about a lot. And actually, Kelly of ADX and I have had this conversation, and she has actually more experience with makers being in the same space with each other. It's a fear, and it is something that we've talked about, maybe that we, as as an industry, can engage and enact this cultural shift of, the truth of it is, everybody has their own ideas. They don't want your ideas. They don't want to sell. The hard part is not necessarily making the thing. The hard part is selling the thing. Mm-hmm. Making the money, exactly. And getting out there and doing it. So, you know, Kelly and I just sent out a survey of this, what do you want in this type of space? We're working on actually bringing this space to reality right now. One of our questions was, do you just want space to work? Or do you really want to connect with other other like-minded people, other people working on the same things? And overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly people said, I want to make those connections. I really want to work together with people. I want to share ideas. You know, I really do want to do this collectively. So I think people are really receptive to it. I think we're moving beyond the protectiveness. The fear and proprietary, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I think we're moving beyond that fear of I'm going to be in a collaborative space and somebody's going to steal what I have. Mm -hmm. That's very Portland, you know, really. I mean, that collaborative kind of energy. So Kelly Dawn's kind of introduced ADX a little bit, but I think for a lot of folks, they're they're maybe not familiar with the space itself or maybe think of it in in just kind of this industrial maker's space with the, the welding and the building. So can you talk about ADX as a whole and then how you're working with the apparel industry? Sure, absolutely. Um, We've been operating for about five years now. So ADX, the model is really um, come in and make it yourself, learn how to make it, or we'll make it for you. And so we really try to meet people where they want to be along that path. A lot of people come into ADX, which we have, for those of you that don't know, we have about 14,000 square feet with a wood shop, metal shop, some digital design, some soft goods design with an industrial sewing machine, screen printing, some jewelry making. So we've got a little bit of everything, but not everything, because there are other people in the ecosystem that have other things. So we work together with them. And 
Uh, it's really a very collaborative space. And I actually think that it's not just a Portland way of doing things. It is the way that our uh, society and economy is moving. So we've got to recognize that reality that it's like proprietary is not in the hands of the few. These design ideas and just just the you know collective industry as a whole is really to like all like high tides raise all ships kind of concept. So we see that at, at ADX. It's played out. And people are aren't afraid of other people stealing their ideas for many reasons that Don mentioned. It's hard enough to do your own idea, let alone do someone else's idea. So we actually see a lot of collaboration. People come in and realize they may not be the ones that want to make their idea. They just want to be a designer and they want somebody else to actually do the production. We can help them tie into the incredible ecosystem we have in this particular industry that we serve. One of the challenges of the fashion ecosystem is that it's been completely gutted, not only in Portland, but around the country due to some really bad trade policies. So we have to be aware of those implications as well. But the ecosystem is rebuilding, and there are some great partners in the ecosystem for fashion and apparel, including Spooltown, Portland Garment Factory, and others. And so I really see actually a, a role for the larger players, the Nikes, Adidas, Columbia, now Keen, to actually support bringing back local manufacturing in this industry and being a contributor to that happening. And they can do that by supporting things like the Portland Apparel Lab and other folks that are trying to bring this industry back here. Yeah, it's interesting because in the tech world, you see like, you know, a lot of tech companies have they invest in startups, you know, I mean, they have their own uh, venture capital, uh, you know, arms that actually go out and support startups that then feed back into the larger beast. But you don't see that as much in the apparel industry. You don't necessarily see Nike investing in smaller startups that are going to grow up. Yeah, and that's true. And I think the model in the tech industry is still the model of consolidating wealth. And I think it's actually more beneficial to the ecosystem at large and the sustainability of the community that's involved the businesses that are involved, and our local community itself. You know, when you make things and sell things locally, the multiplier through the economy of those dollars staying locally is huge. Those those dollars disappear when you're investing and you're sending that investment money out of the community. So I think there's a lot of room for big industry, no matter what sector you're in, to get involved with creating the next generation of makers and manufacturers, whether that's the world that ADX currently plays in or the future of fashion, food and beverage, any other uh, major industry that we have here. So it's just a different approach. Yeah, I do know of a couple companies actually that are doing like incubators and they're investing in apparel businesses. And I know Columbia Sportswear is purchasing, you know, smaller brands and they are, I, I do know one of their people that's really innovative and very dedicated to sustainability and, and going towards that. And also there's, well, there's Tori Birch as well, and she's doing a lot of incubator, like taking on companies and helping foster. It's not just apparel that she's doing, it's a wide variety, but there's also Eileen Fisher who's doing that. So, so some of the big global, yes, national yeah. brands, mm-hmm. yeah. They're stepping up and saying, you know, how can we help other people succeed, and what are they creating that's, you know, that our society needs, our world needs, and I hope that they want to invest in me, actually. Let's <laughs> put that out there. Get the word out there. <laughs> what are you seeing as some of those incubators that are doing things? Have you had some of the meetings? I mean, are they really in an ongoing basis? or is this still just being slowly kind of piecemealed together right now? It's actually just being put together, but no, there's real opportunity. Tori Birch picked out, I think, 15 or 10 women that are going to be mentored. And also, I just actually applied for the OIW 
IWC. It's the Outdoor Women's Coalition Industry. And so what they're doing is supporting women that are in the outdoor apparel and actually, I think not just apparel, but like there was an event at Yakima recently. So, but it's women that are involved in the industry. And so this is their second year. They had a pitch fest where I did submit and they will do mentorship with you and help bring your brand out into the world. There's also Bend Works out of Bend and they are doing the same thing. They have an incubator where they are helping and I did apply to them. <laughs> and <laughs> you're, do, you're laying the groundwork. Yeah. It's, I'm doing it. I'm on my way. <laughs> I can feel it. Well, one of the things that you mentioned that uh, because you are a resident uh, mm-hmm. entrepreneur here, you've got your own company that you're building. Um, you, you just kind of glossed over. You said the capital miraculously arrived. So because that is such a challenge, particularly for startups, I think, in apparel, where yeah. you don't have that instant gratification of a software company that, oh, we're going to go public in you know five years or, or you're going to get a windfall of $20 million for your software plan. Yeah, you could use that. <laughs> Take so, it, though. <laughs> yeah. So can you talk a little bit about the financials and kind of the capital and sure. how you've been able to kind of move your company forward? Sure. Yeah. I um, Actually, what led me to create the company, It's Only Love Activewear was, and this does feed into it, yeah. but was that actually I went through a really horrible divorce and I was granted money after my divorce to go to grad school. I was going to become a family therapist. And running actually really did save my life. It gave me focus. And I thought, why don't we have an apparel brand that's encouraging people to move their bodies because they love themselves? And what if I could in, you know, create an image that people would think instantly, love, love is for everyone, what would it be? And that's what led me. And I just followed the steps. And then I honestly had no idea I was going to get a check from my divorce. I had no idea. I knew I was granted money for grad school. I did not know I was going to get this money. And so when I got it, I was like, it was literally a three-day period, like idea. Then I had like this vision and then the money. And I was like, I'm supposed it's to do meant this. meant to be. I'm wow. supposed to do this. And yeah. You know, I've got, I don't ever stop working and I have so much to learn and, but it's, this is definitely meant to be. Great. <laughs> Seems like a nice way to end that segment. So what would it take for companies large and small to manufacture locally? We've touched on that a little bit. I do want to thank Don Mutard and Anna Van Tol for being in us with this segment. We'll be back to talk a little bit more about manufacturing locally and what the opportunities are after this short break. Welcome back. I'm Suzanne Stevens with the Portland Business Journal here with Mark Grimes of Nedspace. Today on Biz 503, we're looking at the athletic apparel market. We're wondering what it would take to coax these companies to manufacture locally. To help us understand the challenges of doing that, we welcome back my colleague from the Portland Business Journal, Matthew Kish, Don Mutard of the Portland Apparel Lab, Kelly Worry, founder of the art and design collaborative known as ADX, and also Jennifer Nolfi from Portland State University. Kelly, I wanted to jump back and and we'll get to the manufacturing thing in just a sec. But because we didn't get to talk about it in the last segment, and I think a lot of listeners might be interested in knowing how, if you are an entrepreneur, you are trying to work your way into the apparel industry, how might they engage with ADX? Yeah, so we have a few different ways. If you kind of already know what you want to do, you can come in and get access to tools and space that you otherwise might not be able to afford. With our real estate market getting crazy, space is becoming more and ex- more expensive, and just the upfront capital costs of investing in all the tooling is 
is pretty cost prohibitive. So at ADX, we give people affordable access to the tools that they need in order to launch their products. So the business model that we've developed for ADX will be applied to this new endeavor that we're doing with the Portland Apparel Lab because we've realized success from that model. And so you come in as a member, we can help you prototype your idea, get that worked out so that you can then produce it at scale. Because the biggest thing is people develop products that can't be manufactured. So you have to work through your product design to get it to a place where you can cost-effectively manufacture it. And then the magic is that we can then help you produce that in-house at small batches. So when Don said it's really hard to make 7, 12, 50 of something, we actually do that in-house at ADX and plan to do that in-house through the Portland Apparel Lab so that we can get you through that first phase of growth. And then, you know, helping people along that pathway until they're ready to go out on their own, invest in their own equipment, in their own space. And then we've created an entity called Portland Made, which is a collective of makers that then help you continue on that pathway to growth and connect you to mentors that might be at a scale that you aspire to be at so that you have a clear pathway to success. And that's going to encourage that kind of local manufacturing that we're going to talk about on a small scale. So do you help them kind of look at and evaluate that idea as they're development too to make sure they don't have, you know, here's 75 of something that now they can't sell. So to really evaluate the market opportunity, if it is a market or not. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we we encourage people to access the resources that are out in the community, business resources. There are a lot of nonprofit and academic organizations that provide that kind of business side. We do a lot of that in-house, but understanding the, the marketplace, understanding your sales points, understanding what percent of the market you hope to get, and then really really developing a business strategy and a sales strategy for taking your product to market. And of course, crowdfunding is another great way to test the market for your product. You can get a good sense. A lot of people are using crowdfunding just for market analysis. So I think that's a that's an interesting tool as well. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really, uh, I hadn't heard that. That's, that's, that is really interesting. So Matt, I want to bring you in because, you know, what we're talking about with kind of these, you know, us young companies kind of growing up and they hopefully, you know, make, can make the decision and have the resources to manufacture locally. If we're looking at big impact job in that kind of scenario, um, you're looking at Nike, you're looking at Adidas, you're looking at Keen in a, in a bigger way than they're doing right now. How realistic is it that those big companies would bring significant manufacturing back and put it in Oregon? I mean, that's if we're looking at the local economy. To set the stage a little bit, if you go back 50 years, there was a significant footwear manufacturing industry in the United States, and it was clustered in New England in the South. Those jobs started to go overseas. They've largely remained in Southeast Asia. They are starting to come back, though. But what I foresee happening is not a clustering of big manufacturing operations in any specific part of the country, but smaller operations in numerous cities that enable companies like Nike and Adidas to get products to market quickly in a number of different markets. So Adidas last year announced its first pilot speed factory. These are going to be small factories, largely with automated equipment to help them turn out products quickly. The impediment to having manufacturing in the U.S. has been labor costs. So what we're seeing with Nike and Adidas is they are developing technology that enables them to make products with less labor. So if you think about a shoe, it is a very difficult product to manufacture. Historically, it's a lot of leather, a lot of pieces. You have to figure out how to sew it and glue it together. These companies are now developing woven technology where they can make a shoe upper with a single piece of thread. They can make it on a machine, mold it to your foot. I think in five to 10 years, the shopping experience for shoes 
will be dramatically different than it is today. You won't order a size eight and a half. You'll go get size Suzanne. For instance, it will be customized. It'll be made locally. It'll be an entirely different experience. So even if this manufacturing or as it comes back, if it's inevitable to see some of it coming back, it, it's not, we're not talking about a lot of jobs. I mean, we're maybe not talking about 10,000 jobs from Vietnam translating into 10,000 jobs in the U.S. Labor is being taken out of the equation, but Portland is uniquely positioned to benefit from this shift. One, we have the sportswear industry that's already here in a very big way. The other thing we have is this very creative ecosystem with a lot of the panelists you have here today in the room. So we have this vibrant manufacturing economy ecosystem already. Nike has announced it will bring 10,000 jobs to the U.S. in manufacturing if this trade deal passes. They will come here regardless of the trade deal, but faster if it passes. We will see some of those jobs in Oregon. Nike has already announced an R&D facility where it will have some manufacturing jobs here. I expect we'll see more. Jennifer, Um, I'm curious. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, I'd I'd love kind of your take on uh, manufacturing. I mean, you guys are looking at uh, creating a workforce here. The workforce you're looking at is, you know, on the design side, but also some of the kind of back-end operations, the business aspect of of running a company. What what are your thoughts on kind of hearing what Matt's saying and, and the outlook for manufacturing actually coming back for some of these big apparel makers? Yeah, I concur with everything that's been said today. I think one of the challenges is apparel is tends to be easier to make than footwear. It's more complicated. You've got the sole, you've got the upper, whatever. So I think it, we may be seeing more ease in starting the apparel manufacturing here at smaller scale as opposed to footwear. And then if you talk about hard goods like the knife companies, the cost for them to invest in a die cut for the equipment is a huge investment. So I think depending on which piece of the athletic and outdoor industry you're looking at, I think you'll see a different progression of investment in manufacturing here. I mentioned earlier, we already have a lot of um, knife companies um, manufacturing here locally. We do have some footwear, but I think we will see, as Matt was saying, a trend more of that, especially as we look at more customization. We're also seeing manufacturing even shift to South America. So it used to be all done in Asia, but now because of time differences, access to the manufacturing facilities and stuff, there's more of a shift there too. PSU, we are not manufacturing stuff. We don't have a lab there. Our focus is really the business side of things. So how do you manage a product from concept to consumer? So Dylan, as you see the apparel labs start to kind of unfold, in some ways it'll be looked at like say a VC firm where people are going to ask you a year or two afterwards, it's like, you know, what's your biggest success? And that's what they want to see is what growth. I mean, it's not going to be at a Nike level, but what are some of the early companies that you're saying that that you can maybe share information about kind of what they're doing and what makes it interesting and where they're at? Well, I think the most exciting thing I've seen, so we've launched, uh, to give you some context, we launched the idea of the Portland Apparel Lab about a year and a half ago. Now, our idea getting into real space has taken a little time. So in the meantime, we've been offering services to clients who come to us and say, I have this idea that I want, you know, I want to start a business. I have this great idea. So our job in the last year and a half has been helping people realize their ideas and think about the business side of things like branding, business plan, marketing, how they're going to go about doing this. So people come to me with the greatest ideas. It's 
going to be the greatest. <laughs> um, sorry, I couldn't resist. You know, I've had uh, someone come to me. She makes these mitts that go on your bicycle so that you don't have to wear gloves when you're biking. It makes, they're called pogies. They're like, imagine the motorcycle cops where you put your right. hands in and you don't have to wear gloves. I also, I've had someone come to me with, uh, they have this idea for a t-shirt, but it's not any kind of t-shirt. It's like really articulated so that, you know, it doesn't hike up when you're active and you're climbing and your, your arms are over your head and you have a pack on that it doesn't, um, they really wanted to make something that was really moved with the body. And they're on Kickstarter right now. Hmm. They're doing is really exciting. One of our clients is a jean company. They've launched a pop-up here in town recently called Q-Cut. Jeans in 400 sizes. And they are mixing... Custom made. It's your size. Yes. Who made, doesn't want jeans made, made for to them? measure. So what they're doing is the mix of apparel and fit with technology. So they've developed an algorithm. They, you walk into the pop-up or you get online and they ask you five questions. They can, they can get very close to if, jeans that fit with five questions that have nothing to do with a measuring tape. So that, that technology piece is exciting. I don't know. I just meet people with these amazing ideas of what to do in this space. So, Matt, I, I want to ask you, because we, so we did a roundtable recently that was kind of a fashion startups, and it was a really great conversation. This was maybe the middle of last year, and we had about six or seven startups and, you know, entrepreneurs, like we've been talking about, who were there. I'm trying to think, the woman who makes the bras, I wish I could remember. Jennifer the, Ferguson. Thank handful. you. Jen, oh, what's it called? It's Handful. It's Jennifer Ferguson. Okay, good. I wanted to give her a shout out, because she's working hard and, and doing some great, some great stuff but it was when you like we talk about and we write a lot about obviously you know the big companies but there's a whole fashion industry that has kind of remained static you know I you know 10 years ago it doesn't seem like it's grown that much and can you talk a little bit about some of the barriers when it comes to kind of the fashion and the design and some of the more innovative products that are being built here and what some of the biggest barriers are for those entrepreneurs or maybe they have a couple of employees to really get to the next level yeah a lot of the same barriers that you would have in trying to start an athletic apparel company. So in order to start a company, a clothing or a fashion company, you need someone who's willing to give you money that they might not get back for two years. So good luck walking into your local bank saying, I want to make a line of apparel. By the way, I might not be able to design, order it, and sell it for a couple of years. It's really hard to finance. Let alone venture venture <laughs> right. capital. Venture or, yeah. capitalists are looking for home runs. So they're looking for products and companies that will scale and maybe give them a thousand times their money back in five years years. Apparel companies tend to be slow growth companies that can consistently grow over time. It's not surprising that Nike got kicked out of the first two banks it worked with. So it hits these same problems that all young companies have. The fashion industry in Portland, some would argue it's been overlooked because we've had so much success on the athletic apparel side. There are certainly companies here that are young, promising companies in fashion, just like we have young, promising apparel companies. Uh, so hopefully that continues to be part of this ecosystem and it continues to grow. And it's been very easy. Coast Center. I, I remember one of the things we talked about on that roundtable was there's a there's a whole East Coast investment conference around fashion that folks are trying to get something similar to at least have a branch of that or or something you know an event similar to that happening here. There are efforts to get those same sort of events here. The city and kind of the PDC has more prioritized athletic apparel because we've had so much success at it and kind of the idea is let's continue to bet on what's already working as opposed 
to try to grow a new industry. I think the other challenge that you see is when you have technology, technology companies and the exits, a lot of those entrepreneurs tend to come back and they become the investors and the mentors. And the big apparel companies that we have, they're, you know, the founders are still there. You know? This is an ongoing criticism of the industry that it does not tend to reinvest in startups uh, like we see in technology. So in order for us to have a healthy ecosystem where we're starting new companies and they're growing and having exits, we need companies at the top end when they go public or when they do well to then reinvest in smaller companies. So that is one part of the, the ecosystem that Portland's weak right now. I'm curious if anybody here has worked with Lynn Lee with Society9 who, okay, there was no. We've written about yeah. We've written okay. about Yeah, f- yeah. Uh, fantastic young company. So they do uh, female martial arts equipment. She's had a lot of success. It's a young company, maybe two or three years yeah, uh, that, that it's been around, true. but they're doing extremely well. And I, I expect it to, you know, to be one of Oregon's success stories. I think you're right. And I think that's one of the interesting things when I first talked to Lynn, it was like, you know, mixed martial arts for women sounds like it's one of those, it's kind of like bike mitts. It's like, what? But that's the kind of story that really. I think it kicks makes, butt. Kicks butt. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's badass women. It's, it's Thank you. All right. Yeah. You said it. You said it. Can I community radio? Can I mention something really quickly? I just want, this is a reminder that I always give people as I'm touring them through ADX and they're like, oh, this is cute. They're just this like one man shop. But remember, Nike started in a basement with a waffle iron, you know, Mm -hmm. so it takes time to develop a business, to develop a product. And I think unlike the kind of fast paced acceleration of the tech industry and the big money investment, this is a much slower play. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay that it's slow. Fashion needs to slow down. You know, if you've watched, what's the name of the film the, that talks about the impact of the fashion industry? Can't think of it right now. Yeah, but it's a really dirty industry, it's, though, yeah. yeah. Mm. So, I mean, you have we we need to think about the sustainability of the industry as well. And so, the term, you know, slow food, slow money. We talk about slow manufacturing and that slow fashion. So, in a world of acceleration and speed and big money, I think this industry is the slow and steady play. It's a real investment in our economy, a real investment in our community, in the workforce, no matter what that looks like, whether it's advanced jobs, you know, operating machines that make the products, or it's actually a lot of jobs created through the first 15 years of a company where it's it can't be automated. It's got to be produced at more of a handcrafted scale. So I just wanted to remind folks where Nike started and how it started and that these companies have the potential to be the next Nike. They're going to look different and hopefully they're going to keep their manufacturing in the United States. But, you know, that has yet to be figured out. Well, the slow growth, too. I mean, in any industry, it typically results in a stronger company, a more lasting company like Nike. Yeah. And I mean, again, all of these dollars stay local. And if consumers know that these products are made locally and they choose to buy local and spend their money once instead of spending it 10 times on a poorly made disposable product that's produced overseas, then it's a much bigger investment in our community and we can afford to make our schools better to keep our communities affordable and safe and infrastructure really strong in our neighborhoods. So I think it's the right investment for our city. Great. Thank you, Kelly. Well, I'd like to thank everybody that's been here today. Uh, Matthew Kish, Portland Business Journal. Jennifer Nolfi, Portland State University. Anna Van Toll, It's Only Love Activewear. Don Mutart, Portland Apparel Lab. And Kelly Roy with ADX Portland. <laughs>